The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. There you go. All right. Everybody, welcome to The Winemakers. I'm John Myers, sitting across from Tom Gendahl, assistant winemaker at Klein. As always, Sam Katuri. Yep. Brian Casey and Bart Hansen. You Hello. guys have Brian now just waved, switched waves to the so microphone. <laughs> we have, we've done 41 of these. Too. Brian's still I'm, waving at the microphone. I keep thinking we're going to get a camera. <laughs> well, you, no. we can. No. But I, I don't think anybody wants to see what's to happening I don't think camera behind, the, <laughs> behind the smoke and mirrors. <laughs> Tom's so. been here 30 seconds. He already knows. <laughs> you guys don't want, you don't so want Tom, any of this. Sit <laughs> close to the mic and, and tell us how the hell did you get from New Zealand to Sonoma? Um, by plane. Yeah, that was how I got here. Um, no, heard, I've heard it's better than it's a, swimming. It's a, yeah, it's a little bit of a long swim and a long row. But uh, no, I, it's I, a really long walk. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you can, actually. No, yeah, no, those no. land bridges fell away a few years ago. Yeah. So, yeah, no, um, since the last ice age. <laughs> no, the, uh, I, um, I met my now wife at university. She was studying abroad at Lincoln University in New Zealand, and I'd just finished my degree, and we, as you do, kind of fall on young love and whatnot. And um, we lived in New Zealand for a few years before we finally decided she's a Sonoma local, native, born and bred. And we decided, let's move over to America. And that was in 2011. So, yeah, we Are, just... Do you regret that at all now, you know, with oh, man, our current are... state of America? Uh, he didn't surrender his passport. Let's I just did not that. surrender. <laughs> although, <laughs> I didn't surrender that, and I don't intend to. And every day I think I should get my citizenship, but then I scratch my head and go... I'm not ready yet. <laughs> yeah, we're not ready for you either. Um, well, I read a lot about New Zealand, but it's actually very cool. And, you know, a lot to do and uh, lots going on. So One of the great wine-producing yeah. regions in the world. Yeah, that's where I learned my craft. Um, learned, uh, did a three-year degree at university and worked in the industry there um, for Pegasus Bay, mainly focusing on Pinot, Chardonnay, and Riesling. Did a great job there. It was in the, both the winery and the vineyard. You know. Is it the Riesling that got you to Germany then? Oh, yeah. yeah. That? Riesling was the big thing. Um, well, that was kind of my first wine, if you know what I mean. The first kind of Alleluia wine that everyone talks about when they kind of get sold. It was an Auslöser from 2004 from the Mosul. And it was just stunning. and just kind of really sung. And it was one of those first wines. It was at a tasting. It was about an $80 bottle of wine. It just stunning wine. And that kind of really put me on the path. When I was in Germany, that's when I really developed the kind of dry palette for dry German Riesling, and that's where I worked Fine Good Keller, um, who's synonymous with the top dry Rieslings in the world. Well, is that the one with like the bridge and the on the label, little town with the bridge and the river, the Keller? No, no, it's got a little logo. It's okay. got a funny little logo, and then the Grosskavik's like an orange frilly label. Okay. Yeah, but the dry Riesling is really the one to drink. Oh, that's Absolutely. what I love. I mean, yeah. I, I can't handle the. Sweet, sticky ones. Well, I like so. the sweet, sticky ones, but not very often, you know. They stay in the cellar. They have for to be 10, really old, yeah. Yeah, they stay in the cellar for like 10 or 15 years before you drink them, whereas the dry ones, I can't get enough of them. Yeah, I drink them every day if I could. Yeah. And, you know, the there thing with Riesling, you get that, like, you never, people, you know, I'm one of the, you kind of like the smell of gasoline. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you get these Rieslings that are like, it's the smell of gasoline 
in all of its pleasantness and none of its unpleasantness. And then you get old Riesling and it starts to smell like another one of my favorite things and it starts to smell a little ganja And you're like, oh my God. And really no other wines, red or white, can do the things that Riesling does as far as aromatics and stuff like that. The first time I ever went to a blind tasting was with a group of Davis grads that were all winemakers in Napa. And uh, we were tasting Rieslings. And I knew nothing. And... I, all I could get out of all these things with petroleum and, and right. gasoline, diesel, and they all waxed poetically about it. And I'm like, what, what am I missing here? I don't here? get it. Yeah. <laughs> but I've come to learn to really love it and appreciate it. It was just something I just did not understand. The and they've just got such purity of flavor. You know, they just, it's, it, each site has its own characteristics, which I really, really love. Did you, you bring know? one today? I didn't bring any Riesling because I, oh. I don't make any Riesling anymore, unfortunately. Because um, we live in California. Yeah, it's not right. really, really the ideal climate. No, Germany, New Zealand. So. Although, you know, Kenwood used to have Johannesburg Riesling. All that 10 acres out in front of it, mm-hmm. that was all Johannesburg Riesling until 1989. There was, there was actually a lot of Riesling planted and grown around Sonoma. You know, not necessarily um, world-class. World class, not like the best farming planting decisions, but there was a lot of... The, the vineyard that... My parents met at Picking, the Rossi Ranch. They were in a block of Riesling that was dying because it was not a place to put Riesling. But uh, yeah, there was a lot. Riesling was, well, Riesling was one of the wines, like, sort of globally that was uh, identifiable before Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. It was, you know, sweet, especially sweet Rieslings because they, you could keep them forever. They were stable. You could truck them, you know, train them, wagon them across the country, whatever. Um, you're Riesling. Riesling, Chenin Blanc, since we didn't talk about the Chenin last Blanc. episode. You know anybody? Bart, do you make Chenin Blanc? Yeah. Do you know anybody who has I'm any really left? disappointed Brian didn't bring it up. Well, he was waiting <laughs> for you to. He's off his game. Okay, okay, back to, <laughs> let's go back to. Well, I mean, I made Riesling at Sierra, from Sierra Lee's vineyard. Arrowwood is sourcing that stuff. Right. Um, mm-hmm. The Hoot, uh, Sierra Lee's and then the Hoot Owl vineyard as well. So they made dessert style Rieslings up from Auslaser all the way to TBAs. Yeah, wasn't uh, were you at that? There was a crazy Arrowwood tasting uh, when his fiftieth anniversary of in the wine business oh. um, a few years ago, and there was like one of the you know they tasted something from every vintage of of, of Richards. Yeah, they started off with Chateau Saint Jean and went all the way through. It was Arrowwood times, and then yeah, and old old Rieslings were yeah. like with a thing yeah. you know yeah. the wines that lasted fifty years through Richard yeah. Arrowwood's career. They did it's like, like two or three of those. Yeah. 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 But he's one of the pioneers of the valley. Well, your website is extremely well done. Um, so please compliment whoever is doing it back at the house. I will. I have to check with marketing to make sure I know who it is. But yeah, they but, do a great job. It's um, very bright and very um, very easy to follow. And I've just kind of a plethora of wines and information in there. You know, one of the things we talk a lot about, you know, our, our first show today, we focused on weather and how it's affecting everything and what's going on. But your first thing is talking about the green string method. Um, can you define that a little bit more? On So it's kind of our own organic method of growing. Um, so Fred Klein is kind of one of the pioneers. He, wa- he wants to grow organically and sustainably. And that's a big, big thing about what we do. We want to be a f- for the future. Fred was one of six, uh, seven children in his family, and he's got seven children as well. And he wants to make sure that this planet and his properties and everything he does is sustainable and for their future. He wants his kids to take over the, pro- the properties and the businesses and of things course. and just wants it to be clean and green and wants um, it to be good for you. And so the green string method was developed with him and Bobby Kennard. Bobby Kennard's one of the 
bi- pioneers of the organic farming back in the ni- uh, 80s and 90s. 70s. He's, Bob uh, Grenard was one of the first vegetable suppliers for Chez Panisse. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah. you know, Alice Waters, you know, sort of groundbreaking organic foods restaurant in, in Berkeley and neighboring to uh, the Dos Limones Ranch where we, my dad's farmed organically since 79. Bob, you know, Kennard was there five or six years before that. Um, really sort of, you can talk about pioneer of organic, just big O organic across the board. You know, Bob Kennard's name is, you know, one of the two or three at the top of the list. Yeah, exactly. So him and Fred got together um, and now they've got Green String Farms, which is actually a, a farm stand in Petaluma, just outside Petaluma. Yeah, just out, yeah, yeah, on Highway That's on Adobe Road. The back road. It's yeah. right by, yeah, right Adobe by and the PG&E there, yeah. yeah. And you can stop there and the year round. Yeah, year-round, depending on the season, there's always fresh veggies. We've got, all throughout the client properties, there's, wherever we don't have grapes, there's other fruit, veggies, and things like that, planted olive trees, whatever whatever works for the site. And, uh, you know, it's just great. So they started that, and that's that kind of their own organic method. Um, you get, there are a lot of the certifications nowadays. It's just a huge amount of paper pushing, as you guys probably all understand. And so having our own system of doing it just kind of kept it easier for us. And Bob Gennard has the best knowledge of anybody, so... That's what we use to farm all of our estate properties throughout the Sonoma Coast. Yeah. And one of the things with Kennard, uh, you know, you can, there's people out there, and I'm not, this is to say the opposite of what Klein does, that puts a green title on their farming methods and right. goes about doing things the way, the, that, same, the old. same old way. Yeah. And with Kennard, uh, it's, though it's not in the same certification as, uh, you know, California Organic Farmers or something like that, um, it's beyond any sort of regulations as what organic means. And, and, you know, to the nth degree, he's, you know, a, a, a true believer in no-till and, and deep with cover crops and composting, compost yeah, how's tea. Your, and how's your mustard looking not, right now? We're not, we don't do any cover crops. We just, no, uh, it's it's just, n- just volunteer. N- native cover crop. Yeah, yeah. native volunteers. Um, I mean, we've, he's a, all about not wasting anything at all. Um, a huge That's amazing. about that as well. I mean, we've got got a couple of issues that we're trying to find alternate um, solutions for, like a little bit of disease issue and a couple of small spots in a vineyard. And we're looking at using um, some of the residue from olive, the olive press to put back on so that they can stop that mite growth and things. Like looking huh. into different options to basically harmoniously fight these, naturally fight these organisms that we don't want on the vines. So. What, and what you need and this is what Klein has, is you need an owner. You need a Fred Klein who is willing to do those kinds of experiments and take take those types of risks and yeah, hire, I mean, hire Robert Kennard in the first place. Uh, I mean, we've got yeah. a huge amount of stuff we're trying at the moment. It's kind of fun. Um, uh, we should pour a wine. Cause yeah, it's, it's, it's I was so about yeah. to say, Please, what, are you, can, what yeah. are you going to pour <laughs> Sorry, uh, Well, this one is an experiment, and this is kind of Fred. So Fred also, he's a partners with um, Bobby Kennard, but also he's in Italy partnered with a few estates over there and they are big into amphora programs. So this is kind of one of our programs we've got going on. We have 15 amphoras in the winery and then we've got three quiveries. Uh, quiveries are the What's amph- the difference? The quivery, it's buried into the ground so it's got a pointed bottom uh, so it doesn't stand that well. So you've got a bury- your uncle has is, is quivery, not amphora. Yeah, quivery. It's Georgian. It's Q-V-E-V-R-I. So this is really, it's a really great interesting. great scrabble word. 
Yeah. I don't know. Scarlet. <laughs> I don't, the that next time you pull, play, you pull that one out. Uh, yeah, somebody's going to throw, uh-huh. throw a Scrabble board at your head. <laughs> so, yeah, this is, this is from our M4s. This is uh, 2016. Um, this is our white wine from the M4s. We're working on the label at the moment. So it, and this I, is Viognier? Yeah, it's 100% Viognier. Yeah. Yeah. So 100%? The vineyard, it's all from Catapult Ranch. So it's one of the ones in the Pitaluma Gap. So just as you come over uh, Stage Gotch Road, on the left-hand side there, you know where Willie Turkey Birds yeah. is there? On the opposite side of the road. If you go back there, we've got a couple hundred eggs of planted vines back there. we got Pinot. I Sorar, drive by Viana. that five days a week. I've always wondered. Yeah, yeah back that road. There. It's like 1590, yeah. I think, is the sign on the road there. Yeah. If you drive to the... It is a paddock of cows. Those are our cows as well. And there's um, a bunch of olive trees there too, right? Yeah, there's huge olives on the steep slopes. You mm-hmm. know, Sonoma County, you can't plant vines on your steep slopes, but you can plant olives and everything else and fruit trees and stuff like that. So so that's what they did. They wanted, you know, to have producing land. And In Sonoma County, you can't plant vines on uh, steep slopes? Uh, we Help could go <laughs> way deep into this one. Um, there are everything you've shown me is a steep slope. <laughs> well... First of all, a lot of those were planted before those regulations went into place. Uh, there were some, and I won't say any names, but um, I could point them out to you when you come and visit, some vineyards planted, especially in the valley, that um, were not the most responsible land development choices. And that's you know sort of uh, led to rules and that's in both Napa and Sonoma about uh, how steep of a of a slope you can plant on uh, your erosion control plan and methods um, you know your deforestation you know sort of what kind of land you can clear uh, and so can now you, get a tractor up you know there? now yeah. like we've gone over to Caymans or even my yeah. parents' house if you tried to plant those vineyards today you could never you could never ever do it even though there isn't any dirt at Caymans to a road <laughs> just a big no, pile of rocks. Rock. Uh, um, you you now would you know plant olive trees and go find a flat place and and prep it for vineyard. And 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 the problem is is that there were people who planted things poorly. Right. And it's not that where they're planted; it's the fact that they were there how, were people that that yeah. planted it poorly and didn't think it out, and now the rest of us are all paying for it. So it was just poor maintenance as well. Yeah. Another thing. Yes. Poor it. maintenance. Correct. Yeah. Okay, my answer has been answered. My I mean, question is: we been could answered. Uh, we could do yeah, you could go. We a, could do like a whole podcast alone on yeah, but then you have to Sonoma name County names and, rules. And, and then it gets ugly. I don't mind a name a name from time yeah. to time. Well, then what's the decision doing uh, the with the Enfora program? So, um, so yeah, we just wanted to what we did. It's kind of like throwing stuff at a wall and seeing what sticks. And the Viognier just stuck like amazing. It's a beautiful, beautiful wine. Yeah, it's very um, pretty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so what? what Tastes you, better than it did uh, in Jan- December. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's coming along it, in the it, bottle. I think. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of it's an interesting. The M4 is because they oxidize it two times the rate of a barrel. So they're a porous uh, substance. They're terracotta. So it's basically a giant vase. Um, and that porosity means you're oxidizing that wine. So you've got to be really, really careful. We check these wines a lot, making sure that we're not going too, too oxidative. But Viognier being the Rhone varietals and Syrahs, the red wine that really sings in this, they like a little bit of oxidation. They like that richness and roundness. We don't get any more color or anything. This had 20% of the grapes were left on skins for two weeks. So this has got some skin contact in it as well. Um, we fermented it for about two weeks in there. Then we pulled it out, bar- put it into barrels, checked it all, seen what we liked. We did... About three or four different lots. We did some Pinot Gris as well. Did some Chardonnay, but they didn't come out as well. Um, the Viognier definitely is. The I think star. the skin contact has an effect that 
you can actually taste. It's got a richness to yeah. it. It's all about the body. The Amphoras isn't going to help you with your aromatics, although this is ar- aromatically beautiful wine. Um, it's more about the texture. You're getting a much more richer, rounded texture. Also, the because the amphora, it's terracotta, it's a basic substance. Well, So I talk about you've got an acidic wine inside a basic structure. You've got some sort of chemical reaction going in there. And that gives it kind of a saline quality, saltiness, which perks up the acid and keeps it fresh. So it's so a really interesting wine. A question for you. Um, is concrete and terracotta, does the, um, does the oxidation different? I don't know. I haven't worked with t- concrete yeah, that much. Yeah. yeah, I've worked with... We've got a concrete egg. Porous, right? And I do... Well, that's what I'm wondering. I mean, yeah. you know... But also... Define well, porous. Is porous that means that it's actually air from the outside that gets in? Or is it the amount of air that's trapped in the material in the, right. that the wine's touching? Because you know what I mean? In yeah. my... In my perspective i'm talking about the rate of oxygen penetra- penetration through the su- substance um i know it depends it also depends on the amphora you're using some amphoras are treated with their bees you can right. personally beeswax line them or they can actually have some kind of like a sealant inside right. the terracotta right. as well just like the concrete egg so it really depends on your supplier different right. supplies do different things they use different amounts of like um i don't know what the word is but they put the sealant inside the concrete when they make the eggs and things and just like the terracotta so because well, I, it's i i mean i'm just learning about it myself and i've heard one side say that the um the the oxidation comes just from the stored oxygen in the porous concrete but i'm i only know about concrete i don't know anything about terracotta that could be right, but I see pretty quick oxidation results from yeah. what we're doing in the in the and for us, what we do is we ferment it, put it to barrels, choose our beer slots, and then we re-age the wine for another six months. We were just tasting through the seventeen Viognier's this morning, and we left those in longer. We did four weeks on skin, uh, four months on skins for one of the lots, and we did uh, two weeks on skins for another, and then wow. we left the wine in there for longer than usual. So in, in the in, in the, the amphoras. So normally we put, uh, put ferment them, then we sulfur them, and we put them back in. Whereas this time we just kind of let them ride, and we've got more than enough oxidation of kind of that rich character out of them. And so we're not going to age them anymore in the amphoras. We're just going to leave them in barrel. Cool. Because you're just speeding up that oxidation, that aging <clears throat> process. Yeah. So I've got, I've got a question about Klein Cellars. Um, so being sort of a Rhone fanatic, I, I know Klein mostly for Rhone varietals. Um, but it seems odd that you're, where you are situated, sort of Carneros and Petaluma Gap area, that is primarily known for, I mean, Pinot and Chardonnay, um, that, that what they're known for is... Yeah. Rhone varietal. So he, Fred was one of the original Rhone Rangers, obviously, back in the... Yeah. He started his winery in 19, uh, 1983. No, no, 1982. So we're 35 years last year. So that's how long he's been in the business. He started out in Contra Costa, and I'm currently opening a bottle of Cashmere, which is our Rhone blend. So that's our classic Rhone blend. It started off as a half-barrel auction lot, and it's um, this wine is 60% Mavidra, 20% Grenache, 20% Syrah, give or take the blend. And most of it comes from Contra Costa. Um, so those, are, those vines are up to 100, 110 year, years old, own rooted on sandy soils out there. Contra do you Costa, guys own those? I'm sorry to interrupt. Do you guys own those vineyards? We own a good chunk of them. So we own, um, we own two of the main vineyards, and then we've got long-term leases. We've got a guy out there who does all our vineyard management, and then he'll manage all those vineyards. So everything we get, we manage. So what is the land like there? 
Oh, it's weird. It's weird. Yeah. It's, uh, it's it's kind of a, there. when I <laughs> when I'm I glad I asked when I went out there for the first time. I was like, wow, why is this not better advertised or better know, more well known? I mean, you're talking about some of the oldest plantings in California, 100, 110 year old vines on their own roots. It's just unheard of, and there are these old old gnarly vines. They're pretty crazy. Um, so you walk out there, and it's like walking Phylaxera on a proof soil, right? Yeah, it's, it's yeah, and it's basically it's like sand. You're everywhere. walking on a sand dune. It's crazy, and there are, it's townhouses all around you because of the development from the cities just kind of got, oh God. out of control. So you're got houses and all the it's rest like around Oakley you. Oakley and what are those? Yeah, things? Oakley and um, Big Break, and yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, no, it's just uh, these vineyards are amazing. These gnarly old old vines. And just and you've got the delta right there, so you have got the cooling influence from the delta, but that reflected heat from that white sand, you get re- ripe really really quickly. We start picking in uh, Contra Costa around about early August, and we're normally done, wow. you know, early mid September. Who knows when you're going to be done this year? This yeah, what's it look like out there with that sort of like all that early February heat? I haven't things, actually checked out out there, there yet. yet. Yeah, no, I'd I imagine be. we're getting pretty close. Yeah. But also, you got to remember, I mean, it takes longer for that to, co- to warm up because of the coastal influence there. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the crazy that's thing is it is, it's, you know, it's got considerably that. further inland, away from, you know, further away from the ocean than we are. But, uh, yeah, it's... You've got the river right there. You've got the, the Sacramento yeah, River right there. Yeah, the Sacramento right River and the, the bay, it's kind of like the Petaluma Gap. It's yeah. that low spot and when the fog comes in and sits there in san francisco it goes all the way in you know i mean at the base of mount diablo kind of holds it also um yeah yeah, it's a very interesting area and then i know you know the the bedrock guys and a number of people that get grapes out there they always show the big uh the pg&e substations out in that area also the the evangelo vineyard yeah i mean it's it's like the whole area is nothing but townhouses and it's a pretty wine and and substations yeah so that's where fried klein started making his wine that's where he learned from his grandfather valeriano um, an Italian immigrant who uh, lived in Contra Costa, planted vines and whatnot. That's where he learned how to make wine and where he really started. He started with Zinfandels out there, with his Rhone blends, Mavedra, Grenache. We still make single vineyards from out there um, of Grenache, Mavedra, um, Threesons, I think we've got. Uh, oh, this is beautiful. Yeah. And so this is our Cashmere Red 2016 blend. Um, it's about to get a new label change. We just finished bottling the last of it, uh, the new label today. Which is so fantastic. That was the 17? No, 16. It was 16. 16. We're doing mid, mid changeover. But this all started out back in uh, 98. It was a half bottle donation to an auction. And people loved it. They went crazy for this blend. They thought it was fantastic. So we were doing Rhone blends before Rhone blends became interesting. And who was doing Rhone blends in the 90s? Yeah. No one except the original Rhone Rangers. But at the time, Fred owned the land over there. Yeah, he owned the land and whatnot. Uh, He owned the land. He only moved to Sonoma, and he bought the Sonoma property in the 89, I think it was, or early 90s. Okay. Yeah, 89, I think it was around about then, and then he slowly transferred his winery to there. It was about 93 before he got his winery going. And there was vines on the property, or did he plant everything? No, he planted everything. Yeah, it used to be a horse ranch, so our winery kind of was a converted horse barn. Pretty much. It kind of looks like a big barn. Yeah, so you've got like where our production building is, where I got my office, and where we've got like our small tanks and things like that. That used to be the stables where they housed the horse. And then the other building where we've got our barrel storage and our some of our tanks inside, and where we've got our events area, that used to be the riding ring. Where they Oh, that's totally what that building is. Yeah, yeah. And so we've expanded and changed it it all up. So a little bit. We like to keep the hay on the floor because we kind of like having it. (laughs) (laughs) And that way you can spit on the floor. It's no big deal. Don't don't go to Klein and spit on the floor. (laughs) Please. (laughs) I heard it on the winemakers. I think it's okay. (laughs) Can you can you tell us what the what is the relationship between uh, Jacuzzi and Klein? So Jacuzzi is 
Fred's uh, homage to his past. He was an Italian. His family is Italian immigrants. Got huge, fa- uh, huge families, and so he built the Jacuzzi Winery in 2003. And it's all Italian wines, pretty much. Um, we do a little bit of some of the estate stuff. We've got some Pinot Noir over there, some Pinot Gris, and some Capisave and things. So we got some of the stuff, but it's mostly Italian varietals. We've got a huge array. Um, some of the w- wines I'd never heard of until I started working for Klein and Jacuzzi. Some crazy stuff like uh, Nero, Di- Nero Diavola. Uh, we have great wines. Um, yeah. w- we have Aglianico. Toraldago is a new one. Yeah, Toraldago, just a huge plethora of wines, which I had to read up and learn and taste and find out what these wines are about. And where are those vineyards primarily located? A lot of that we have to source ourselves. So we've got like Sangioveses from our Sonoma Coast Estates. Uh, we get Primitivo from Tracy Hills. There's a great guy out there who's got a lot of different stuff. We get things even from the Sierra Foothills for that stuff. It's kind of wherever they've got little pockets of interesting grape varieties. Got Arnaz, got um, Vinacha. Vinacha's just up the road on um, on the highway there. Um, uh, just north of Jacuzzi, there's a grower growing vernacha. We get about 10 tons per year. Yeah, I was Beautiful say, there's a variety. lot of vernacha out there. There's, yeah. I always see an ad in uh, for grapes. You can uh, buy like, like 25 the, tons of it. The bottom of the wine business monthly uh, daily. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> and I'm always like, oh, vernacha, yeah. Oh, I wonder what go. that's like. It's it's a really nice wine. It's a aromatic white variety. Um, it's just got nice kind of stone, uh, no more like melon fruits. Um, and it's got a little bit of creaminess depending on how you want to make it and how ripe you pick it. Yeah. Yeah. And I've had that Arnais. I really like that too. Yeah, the Arnais. Um, we get that from fruit just opposite uh, by the school on Adobe Highway. Uh, yeah. yeah. Just do there. all these other uh, vineyards follow the green string method? And no, we try uh, we try to um, farm source our fruit thoughtfully and we're always looking at how they farm it and how well they're looking after their vineyards but no we, we haven't really enforced that on anybody it's kind of our method we haven't done too much to kind of promote that as other people doing it we haven't been out recruiting people so so there's only one there's only one Bob Kennard yeah exactly. you can't like you can't outsource <laughs> you can't that you can't cl- th- please he's, he's I love a character him. He's, I've yeah. known him since I was as tall as a wine bottle please don't clone Bob Kennard <laughs> he's, he's, they intentionally broke the mold um, and but as far as farmers go, as far as you know, giving back and building up a soil more than you're taking out of it, uh, there's really nobody better. Yeah, he's really salt of the earth kind of people. Yeah, no. You know, just always out there on the farms, always checking it, always out there being part of it. Yeah. Well, Sam, that line that you just said, you know, making the soil better than you found it, yeah, is really what it's all about. Because it gives better fruit the next year. Like I mean, it continues. You know, Tom and Bart will both say that you're only as good a winemaker as the fruit that you're getting, and the grapes are only going to be as good as the soil that they're grown in. Um, and you see very often, and it's not just grapes uh, in agriculture. Um, you have a piece of land. Your job is to maximize your profit off of that piece of land, and what you do is you just keep pumping it out and and taking stripping that land and putting more chemicals into you know basically your soil just becomes you know it's almost like growing sand but in a bad way it's that you're you're in a substrate and you're adding whatever nutrients chemically and and at some point you know you're, you're you, that system fails and if you put back into the soil yeah, it goes we, on forever when you're putting fertilizers and things you're only feeding it for that year and it becomes dependent on that food source rather than teaching the vine to go out and find it itself and fixing the soil to provide that 
um, that food for it. That's a great way. So it interesting, down. yes. You know, you want to you want to make your soil as healthy as possible. You want there to be biodiversity. You want beneficial bacteria because the bacteria will create the nitrogen for you just naturally. The uh, the um, nitrogen fixing bacteria in the soil will provide the nitrogen for the vine, and you get the organic hummus to get your car- um, carbon source and all the rest of it. You want to make sure that the soil that you've got a good harmonious. Um, it's it's a system that needs to work, and if you're always putting stuff into it. Um, you're just, it's going to fail eventually, basically. A lot of people use natural yeast that's out there everywhere, and a lot of people add. How, what do you guys do? So we, everything in the Klein winery, for all our red wines, we do not inoculate. It's all natural yeast. Um, and then whites, we're around about, I think, 17. We got to maybe a third of it we didn't inoculate. We're still playing around with our whites and getting more towards that natural fermentation. Yeah. So we're pretty big on that. We don't want to we don't want to be manipulating too much. We want to pick it ripeness and we want to just let the grapes sing speak for themselves. Yeah. I love how the uh Muvedra um its presence in this cashmere. It's there's no you doubt. Can taste that it. Grow yes. more Muvedra. Yeah, yes. exactly. Muvedra's fantastic. It's kind of funny. These vines only survive they survive through prohibition. They're, you know, older than all of us and they because they were such even, big even you, John. <laughs> And it's just amazing because they would. He they, was doing they, the math. They would. T- they t- the thing about them is they're also Counting tasty grapes to eat. They're tasty grapes to eat as well because that's how they got them through oh. prohibition because they were table grapes at the time. Right. You know, it's the only way they managed to survive through that. And they're just delicious, good sized bunches um, out there. The vines really, really struggle, and they've got good light exposure because they're all head trained. So you've got that <laughs> as the good light exposure because there's nothing, there's nowhere to hide. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And they're just as the bunches get bigger, those. Uh, the the shoots kind of bend down and the top of the bunch gets exposed to the right amount of light. Just kind of, it's wonderful farming, just natural farming. Yeah. And what is, what, is, what is the soil like and what makes the soil unique at Klein? And if you guys aren't doing cover crops, do you have issues with erosion? No, because we'll... Because we don't spray anything, you've just got grass everywhere. I mean, we were walking out the vineyard yesterday, and there's just lush, natural grasses everywhere. There's they a little bit of weeds of and stuff too. We use sheep and goats to trim the trim the grass. Um, yeah, the we've got sheep herders from South America who come and look after our sheep and goats and move them around the vineyards to keep keep our weeds down. And then during the uh, growing season, we use the sheep to trim the leaves to do the leaf uh, plucking for us. Wait we, a minute. Wait a minute. How? How do you train them not to eat? They don't. They don't like the grapes. We use flashcards. Yeah, use oh flashcards to teach them. No, no. Yeah, the grapes are, don't taste good enough. <laughs> no, the grapes don't taste good enough. The goats. You can't have the goats in the vineyard. The, the goats, goats will eat everything. Right. Okay, goats will eat your but the sheep. They like the taste trellis. of the leaves, but they don't yeah, the, like the taste of the. Well, the grapes, grapes are hard little gra- green berries right. at that time. If they start going through veraison, you're too late late for leaf plucking anyway. So, Very yeah, yeah. You've got specific timings you want to go through and get it done. And also the the. Leaves are really, really nutritious for the sheep, and they fatten them up real good. I think it's got to make you feel like you're back in New Zealand, though, right? When you're walking around a little bit, in a yeah. green pastured <laughs> vineyard, and there's right. sheep everywhere. There's, they did foggy I, I, I thought we agreed there would be no sheep jokes. <laughs> I wasn't even going no, there, man. Serious. We did, there were studies done in New Zealand. Woman. It was kind of surprising. <laughs> we did studies in New Zealand about using sheep for leaf plucking and things like that, and you know they're great. Um, their their heads are at the right state, right height to get that fruit zone and whatnot. Yeah. Um, they're, they are a lot to manage. They, you've got to keep real tight control of them because otherwise they'll just go crazy and overleaf pluck. And so you've got to move them pretty tightly. They're lazy. They don't like eating on the hills. They like eating on the flats. And so you've got to manage them pretty hard. Yeah. Yeah. The original woolly weeders. The, yeah, they are. That's, that's what that, we call that them. That was you guys, right? Yeah, that yeah, was, yeah. you know, when you're traveling through the wine country and you see it, that's most likely the, the cl- some attention I'm, to climb. You know, it's funny. I take people. Fertilizer. 
Yeah, natural fertilizer. Yeah. I yeah. used to take in uh, when and tourists would come to New Zealand. They pull over and take photos of the sheep and stuff. And I'm seeing it again now when I take people <laughs> through the vineyard. They're out. Oh, can we take a photo of the sheep? I'm like, oh, geez, I'm yeah, back home. Back home. <laughs> well, and then one of the other benefits is lamb chops. Right? Lamb right? chops that's, are the best. That's really beautiful good. ones. You get feed them all those nice, those nice sweet grape leaves. Oh man, and that go great with this cashmere with that Rhone blend. When is lamb, that? When fantastic. is the Klein uh, lamb roast? That's you guys a good do question. one? I'm kind of I'm gonna talk to your marketing department. So that sounds great. Wooly yeah. weeder, you know. We, one I get a the year. I get the beef, but I don't. I haven't seen any of the lamb, so I don't know where yeah. that's kept. Because yeah. obviously, that's kind of mm. talk to Hillary or something. Yeah. You know, exactly. we yeah. to get this. On? Are they? Yeah. Yours? Oh, Hillary's in New Zealand right oh, that's now. That's right. Yeah, she's out in New Zealand. Are they yours at at? Client all the time, or does somebody bring them in? No, they're, they're, we've handle. got we've got multiple properties. There's uh, we've uh, store them because we've we don't just have vines and fruit and things like that. We've got pasture lands as well. It's all about that kind of organic, that whole holistic approach where you don't have just a monocrop because that's just a yeah. recipe for disaster. So we have pasture for the sheep and for the cattle as well. Um, we've got chickens that supply the eggs for the green string. Um, it's a whole system where we want to be able to feed ourselves and be sustainable forever. This cashmere is beautiful, uh, but I was talking with Steve Law about a GSM blend, and he said, what a waste of Syrah. Oh, I mean, well, of course, that's what he makes. You know, and it's, you know, But, uh, yeah, you, 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 you taste the Movedra here. It's beautiful, and the Grenache and Syrah. The Syrah really gives it a bit more backbone. Yeah, yeah. The, the Syrah, a yeah. chunk of the Syrah comes from our Sonoma Coast Estates, which has got quite a lot of grunt there. Because it's quite cool sites in the Petaluma Gap, and so that's got pretty hard tannin. Gives it a bit of backbone. The Mavidra's got the wonderful characteristic, the flavors, all of that. And the Grenache really highlights that. You know, the Grenache is a little bit lighter. Just kind of gives it a bit more highlighted uh, aromatics. That's why I actually don't like the term GSM. Because in a, in a good Grenache Mavedra blend, the Syrah is... Um, just the the accent. If you put too much Syrah in those, it just becomes Syrah. Yeah. So you, you know you got to put just the right amount, just a little bit of Syrah to give Careful. it that. Uh, Tom said it perfectly. Backbone. You know, it gives it a little spice. It gives it a little, you know, sort of broader shoulders, a little extra of that Syrah structure. But you know, if you go you go overboard, and it's you know. I w- can overwhelm. I make one where it's like eight yeah. percent Syrah, and you go to ten percent Syrah, and it's too much. Right. So, yeah. And and you know, remember the whole GSM term came out of probably one winery or two wineries that were trying to figure out, you know, how to market, how to market their, their blends, you know? And, um, so the fact that it's GSM, it probably just what those wineries had their percentage of at the time. This is an MSG. So, but we can't say that. We have (laughs) MGS, MGS, GMS, SM. Yeah. I mean, SMGs. Yeah. Oh, geez. I don't know. So someone changed the subject. Somebody, <laughs> quick. Uh, next wine. No, next I think wine. we should Do talk. Some, you want some rosé? I, I kind of want to talk a little bit of like the Gordanker family connection, and right. um, you know Tom's wife, who I've known you know since we were children, and um, one of really you know you talk about a cool entrance to Sonoma Valley through the Kleins, but as you're coming into Sonoma Valley from the north, you know you're coming into to Sonoma from from Glen Ellen, the Gordanker Ranch is and and was always sort of a you know prime uh, location there on on Highway 12. Um, it was also happened to be basically ground zero uh, uh, of the of the Nuns Fire. Um, I know but it's know, not the first Nuns Fire either. We found history that there was fires in 1926 in the 30s and in right. the 50s or 60s. The 60s, so yeah, so 60s. that have come through that basically yeah. that same fire path. path yeah. 
But um, yeah, I can get I'll t- get talking about that in a sec. But this is an interesting wine. This is the wine we make. So we have uh, Sam's dad actually planted our vineyard on the Good Inc. property. The Good Inc. has brought that property in the 30s. And they brought it and started turkey egg farming. So they were making eggs for woolly turkey birds. But in the 30s, they were actually supplying the war effort. So they were feeding all the troops and things like that. Oh, turkey eggs. Yeah, turkey eggs. Oh, I'm guessing turkeys at that stage. I'm not quite turkeys sure Turkeys and turkey egg scrambles on the war front. And so and that was that was a spam. huge thing. And then they moved into that. Um, woolly turkey birds figured out how to do the white um, white turkey. And so that's when they started producing the eggs. So that, then it came over to Petaluma and then turned them into turkeys that would feed the country. So they did that and kind of expanded that property. It's now a 450-acre property um, right there on Highway 12 in Trinity. Um, this is our 2014 uh, that we're just pouring right now. It's Cabernet Sauvignon. The first time I've seen the new label. I like it. It's a nice upgrade and very elegant. Yeah, no, we're, we, we really love it. So this is the wine I make personally. We've been making since 2012. I came here in 11. Um, the vineyard was basically it was uh, planted in 98, 100% Cabernet Sauvignon at 6.7 acres. Um, beautifully farmed, beautifully looked after, Cloned 337 on 339 rootstock. Um, yeah, Phil, uh, Phil Katuri planted it, and then I took over management in 2012. And we made our first vintage that year, and then this is our third vintage, 2014. This wine's doubly interesting because this actually survived the fire. This was in my cellar. What happened? Well, the fire came through on the Sunday. Su- Sunday was a crazy, crazy day, the, fire, the day of the fire. I'm sure some people have told you the stories. Have you, do you know anyone who's lost a house who's been on here? Uh, I, you would say that I think you're the first person that we've had on who actually lost their house. Okay, cool. So, so it was pretty interesting because cool. Sunday, <laughs> well, just it's interesting. <laughs> no, I'm used no, to it I mean, now. You know, you kind of uh, you kind of deal with it and whatnot. No. Um, but so Sunday, we were, uh, it was the Glen Ellen. Um, Village, Fair. Village Fair and we, everyone was down oh, there having a great time right. and we hadn't harvested our grapes yet and we were down there with our guy who because I'm probably going to harvest that week right we were talking we were planning the harvest and so uh, we were going to harvest two weeks later we we're planning for the 16th so familiar this was, this was God, the f- that, that's pushing it there too yeah we, we picked it as late as the second second of November I mean we pick it really really late it's a late ripening vineyard it's in a beautiful little gully there really protected Long hang time, beautiful, beautiful fruit. Moon Mountain District. Yeah, Moon Mountain District, right at the base of the Moon Mountain District. And so anyway, on Sunday, we're out having a great time. I've got a one-month-old son. It's our first time taking him out. Got the pram going and whatnot. We're down at the bar, catching up with everybody. The Benzingers are down there. Everybody's down there. You know, it's the village fair and chatting away to people. And I've got my vineyard guy and we're talking about the harvest date and whatnot. And afterwards, it's four o'clock. We go home. We have a few more wines. We've got a big box of wine. We're just enjoying and having a great time. And it's they stay late and have dinner and whatnot and we're about to head to bed we'd normally be in bed at this stage because we got a one month old and we need our sleep and about 10 30 11 o'clock my wife gets a text from her cousin who's a paramedic out in Sebastopol and the text is like hey there's a fire it sounds like it's basically on your property and so I'm having a glass of wine I'm like okay well whatever you know Michelle's like oh go check it out so she drives down the road and sure enough there's a huge fire this is around about 11 o'clock we come home and um, her first instinct, our first instinct's like, well, I better go tell the neighbors because we live in a an interesting spot. We lived in an interesting spot, and so I take I've got the life insurance, so I say, well, I'll go walk around because the wind's howling. I mean, I'm, I was <laughs> it was I was an more, amazing. I was evening. more afraid. I was more afraid. I've got the life insurance. <laughs> I was more afraid of getting cut in half by a piece of galvanized iron than I was the fire getting me. That's how bad it was. And so I said, I've got the life insurance. I'll go and chat around. I got my wine glass in hand as I'm totting around the ranch, <laughs> knocking on people's doors, yelling out to people because there's a few people camping and whatnot on the ranch and things, just trying to make sure that everyone knows and everyone's going to be safe and whatnot. Then I come back to the house and Michelle's been on the phone calling everyone. My wife's been on the phone calling everybody. 
And so once we're sure that everyone's notified this is about 11.30, we figure, oh, yeah, we better, better take some stuff, I guess. You know, you can see the flames in the distance and orange, orange flares and things like that, smoke coming up. So we, we, I walk around with my wine glass like, oh, we can replace that, replace that. Oh, I better take that. My wife finally says, put, put the effing wine glass down. Get serious. <laughs> you can say that word. <laughs> <laughs> put the fucking wine glass man. down. And I look at it and go, yeah, fair enough. And I put it down. What were you, what were you drinking? Oh, uh, it's Tokalon, actually. So we're drinking pretty good stuff. <laughs> I wouldn't have put it down either. <laughs> it's filled with ashes by now. <laughs> So I put it down and we just, I managed to save five and a half cases of wine from the cellar. Um, I saved a couple of like mementos for my, my late father and that was kind of it. And last minute I'm loaded. Oh, we're in the back. So I take the first case of wine to put it into the car and you, I look up and we've got a galvanized fence, like a wrought iron fence. And the power pylon to our house has come down and is lying across our, our fence. And so, you know, if the fire oh, terrific. didn't... So the fire didn't start... Wherever it started, it would have started. started right there. Yeah, exactly. So I walk out and go, oh, we're not leaving this way. So we have to go out the back way, get to the car and all the rest of it. And about 11.44, 11.50, a cop screeches up to the property and I'm loading my car and he's like, there's a fire. It's like, are you evacuating? I'm like, what does it look like I'm doing, dude? Yeah, <laughs> I'm way absolutely. more calm than he is. And um, so I load the car up. Yeah, he, he just he, left Kenwood though. Right, yeah. He had, yeah, he had exactly. seen what he had seen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, yeah. And so we loaded up and the last thing was like the baby was asleep in the bedroom and uh, we didn't want to wake him because screaming baby and trying to load car and all the rest of it was a nightmare. But we left a bunch of stuff. We left uh, jewelry, passports, wedding rings, cash, the whole deal. You know, we just took took ourselves really and the baby and the dog, you know. And, and we five were, and a half cases of wine. Five and a half cases of wine, the important Save stuff. The, yeah. the important stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Know? And so we were out of there by midnight. Our house probably was ash by about three. Yeah, complete ash. So God. it was completely lost. So anyway, so this sorry, So man. afterwards, afterwards, we came through and um, all the wine was stacked because we've got our own wine layer. We have stacks of it. And so the outside stuff, you just kind of kick it off and underneath it's all this great wine. And so this is one of the bottles that actually survived the fire through our house. Wow. Excellent. Yeah. Wow. That tastes great. And, it's, yeah, it, and it has a little soot yeah, if you, if you on smell the back. The, if you smell the bottle, it actually smells like ash and like fire. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. This is the first time I've ever actually smelled the outside of a wine bottle. Right. <laughs> right. You're always smelling things on the well, inside of the wine bottle. <laughs> it's interesting because they have the harvest, all of the information in terms of uh, the harvest date and uh, what the bricks were and tons per acre. Me and Michelle are essentially uh, wine geeks, and obviously. Then, uh, you know. <laughs> they didn't save their jewelry, itself. their passports. <laughs> it's been they they packed the baby last, <laughs> but they got five and a half cases of wine. They're wine dorks. Well, <laughs> we were not good. ordered to get out, but Sam said on Wednesday, um, if you're going to leave, now's the time. And it was coming from Glen Ellen towards us, coming the other way towards us. I mean, it was... You know. And it wasn't even if you were going to, like, your house was going to get burned down. Being in Sonoma Valley that week, if you didn't have to be, if you It had, wasn't a good thing. Well, yeah. don't, you yeah. didn't want to be here. I mean, you know, for a baby, you know, if you have a kid, you yeah. don't want to breathe that air. You know, there's no. no reason. there was no reason to stick yeah. around except for to go dig through the wine that Tom left behind, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> had we only known. Yeah, seriously. I'm like, I, I got to get to Trinity. <laughs> anyway, well, we, thanks for your updates, Sam. They were, they were great. They were really, really helpful. I mean, the, throughout the whole thing, I mean, even though we'd lost our house and whatnot, it was still great to hear when everything else was going on because you were by far the best resource. We well, had. Who's yeah. Sonoma's hero oh, at that I time? Gotta, Believe I got to smell this um, yeah. I have I mean, a friend, really however, smells, who... Uh, smells just like what I remember. Smells like that week. Picking yeah. Sunday night... That's and crazy. they left 
all the crop sitting out they in ran Bennett they Valley, ran from the vineyard Bennett Valley and left it and 12 days later when he got to his fruit it was nothing but raisins well Smoky we were lucky we were lucky um so we were going to pick it and we didn't pick it um our vineyard got the a guy with a bulldozer came through and trashed the outside of the vineyard that was pretty hilarious came through and like took out ends of vines he saved the vineyard kind of Probably and that, probably kind of. Hell's Derek. <laughs> yeah. that was probably going to save itself, but you know, still, he came around and like he dug a huge trench and whatnot throughout. It was huge. That's exactly what it was yeah. good because they took the the tractor came from the quarry from the quarry at the top of the ranch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you can see the tracks and came through fences right. and all the rest of it. Yeah, it's pretty funny. He, yeah, a friend of mine put a truck in the middle of a paddock and somehow he managed to roll that over because <laughs> <laughs> well, you're driving. I don't know how big it was, but some of the ditches he went through. They were huge. It's he was a in a big, big yeah. monster yeah. of a machine. So even the fact that he like managed to maneuver himself as much as he did is mind-blowing. That tractor, uh, the story of that tractor has yet to sort of be fully uh, explored, but that tractor saved Sonoma, and that's the tractor that cut that big fire. Have you been up Moon Mountain Road? No, I haven't really been uh, up there much. The, no. the fire break up Moon Mountain Road is Unbelievable. 80 feet wide, and it comes up. The fire came up the canyon from you know from Hooker Creek, Cavedale, and stopped at Moon Mountain Road at this fire break. And if it had gone past that fire break down, it would have been down into Boy Springs and the hotel and my neighborhood. And, you know, yes, some, you start to get to like the really The story popular. that I knew was some guy basically, one of the guys from the quarry, basically one o'clock in the morning, zoomed up to the quarry, jumped on this thing and just started and bashing around yeah. in this massive, massive bulldozer. And drove it for like three days straight. Yeah, 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 yeah. just so. huge. Yeah, yeah. I think Bruce Willis will play that part in the uh, movie. <laughs> <laughs> totally. It's a good... Yeah. I could see Bruce in that. Yeah, I think I think there'd be some guys in Sonoma fighting over to have Bruce Willis play them in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, straight after the fire, obviously we lost everything and whatnot. But um, the clients were there again. They offered us a house to live in. Um, I'm st- we're still living there right now. Three bedroom, fully finished house. Me and my baby and my wife got to move in a week, less than a week after awesome. our house. God, and that's just, wonderful. That just kind of really like nice really people. epitomizes how amazing the clients have been and how great people they are and how generous they are. It was really. Yeah, and that generosity kind of really permeated through. We've had huge amounts of support after we lost everything, um, donations, um, gift vouchers, all sorts of things. We've just been overwhelmed by how much help and how supportive the community's been. I mean, it's just been really, really fantastic. Yeah, I cannot say enough about how fantastic everyone's been in the community. If your house is going to burn down, have it burn down in Sonoma, I guess, is the moral of the story. And have it well insured. I know. I don't know how, That's I don't know how well insured... Uh, some of those structures there at the Gord Anchor Ranch. Yeah. We were pretty well insured. We didn't have right. contents insurance on our house, though. Okay. Uh, we lost, the family lost about eight houses and a bunch of structures. Wow. So yeah. that in- the Army Corps of Engineer just turned up yesterday or today, around this week. They turned up, clean up, starting to clean up now. So that's been a huge. And then once you get the cleanup, then you've got to go through the permitting and all the rest of it. And it's it's going to be a long rebuild. But it's great. It's a great opportunity also to start fresh. So, so like those all, those old, all those old turkey brooder houses... Everything. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, ninety percent of what was on the ranch no, burnt. Wow. Um, yeah, we lost a bunch of stuff, but it also opened up spaces and whatnot. It's a it's a good time to kind of re. What would we want to do if we had a fresh start? And that's one of the well, things. I mean, you know, you're sometimes you're tied to what you already have, and turkeys isn't where we're going to go forward. And so a lot of those buildings were basically useless to what we wanted to do as far as the things we're doing on that ranch, which is um, we've got a marijuana grower in there. He's doing a huge project up there. He lost a bunch of his crop, and he couldn't insure that as well. He had a warehouse full of drying crop, and he lost all of that. 
and then obviously we want to get more into the wine game, put and more B- vineyards in. B- and more well Farms. I mean, there's B- well Farms there's a lot of there. stuff going yeah. on there. Yeah. Yeah. They lost and their house. That was the one I knocked. And Daylight uh, had space from you yep, guys. Yeah, that's one of my good mates. Yeah. Daylight. Yeah. He he now is on one of the. Um, well, I've got great stories about all this. Daylight now works with Hamels. They're in one of their properties just off oh, Arnold Drive. Interesting. So he's using that warehousing for his um, uh, vineyard business. The uh, the Bewell Farms, they're currently living on the Kundi Ranch. Um, yeah. They've got a house on there that's beautiful. That's where we get um, our, our beef, our grass-fed beef. And then they are currently, we're in the process of getting um, grants for redoing our fences because we need to do all our fences again before we can bring everything back on. We've got be- uh, beef, over th- about a thousand chickens as well that they manage and then um, oh, vegetable God. gardens and stuff. So, yeah, yeah. so yeah. it's all it's all just a long process about there's plenty of money out there. It's just about accessing it. It's a lot of paperwork and stuff like that. Right. So, I mean, yeah. that's the thing is we're across Sonoma County is we're bumping into. Isn't It's not about the will or the ability, the funds to rebuild. Now it's just about the time and the people and finding the materials. And you know, actually, we're like, and, and every, every mean, roll of new fence that comes off the line right now, I'm pretty sure that Enterprise Vineyards has a truck <laughs> waiting at the factory to put it on, go out and you know fix another mile of, of deer fencing out in the middle of the Moon Mountain District. So. It's huge, yeah. It's huge amounts of huge amounts of repair. And I mean, even house pricing to rebuild houses, the labor shortage is really hitting hard. And so all the costs are going through the roof. I mean, yeah. yeah. I, I, we're just now starting to see that realize what's what we're going through yeah. going forward. So I was in Christchurch just on a side topic. I was in Christchurch when the earthquake happened back in 2010 and 11. That's kind of some of the reason why we moved out here. Christchurch kind of fell down and that whole city changed. And this will be less of an effect because it didn't affect as much of it. But we found in Christchurch the the dynamics of the city changed. What happened is you lost a lot of the white collar workers because it's office buildings and things like that. They all fell down in the earthquake. So you lost a lot of the professionals and a lot of blue collar. So you, the whole kind of culture and the dynamics of the city changed because of that big shift from white collar to blue collar because there was so much construction work. And it was just interesting to kind of note and to maybe put a mental note in to see yeah. how things change in the future. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, the ratio of men to women because the men are doing the construction work right. that yeah. changed yeah. as well. You know, well, I imagine that'll swing back, but the pendulum's going to swing that way for yeah. a while. Yeah, exactly. Then, yeah. You know, when you've got all this construction going on and there's not, you know, there's not as much hospitality work and all the rest of it and other things that are more female dominated, not to be sexist or anything like that, but I can happily say that a male dominated industry like construction. Yeah. How uh, how strong was that uh, earthquake? It in? was a seven and a six point three. And what was ours in Napa? Six two? No, six oh. Uh, I think. Yeah, was it even six? Was that? Yeah, I think it was got a, to six. Around about yeah. six. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so we and had, every every point is like a thousand times yeah, worse. Yeah, yeah. You know? Christchurch is still kind of recovering, right? Yeah, fully. I mean, it's a yeah. huge city, and the, what the big thing was, and I think it's going to be similar as well. It took a long time to get through all the permitting. What They wanted to come with ordinances about how to oh tall you could build buildings so it never happened again. They wanted to rezone the city to use it better because there were parts of the city that were no, no longer buildable. They, they basically, their liquefaction was so terrible, it turned into a reclaimed swampland. Pretty much the swamp took itself back. You wow. know? It's always going to. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's always going to. The swamp, the forest, mm-hmm. it always takes over at the end. It always drain comes the back. Swamp. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> drain the swamp. Yeah, swamps don't drain. That's why there's swamps in the first place. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, true. Right. Swamps good don't wow. drain. Yeah. yeah, and I only podcast for the cheese. Those are my two lines for the week. <laughs> <laughs> I will not podcast. I will not podcast. No, no, no cheese. 
No podcast. <laughs> no pot, no cheese. No, no pot, pot, no cheese, no podcast. Now, I don't I haven't smoked pot in your house yet, John. I, I, I do that before I come in. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll check that later after the broadcast. So. Uh, I don't think we need coffee on here. So Every time my friend is talking to me on the phone and coughs, I go, you know, there should be a, a warning label on that stuff. You know, it, it makes you cough. Causes coughing, dry yes. mouth, and uh, <laughs> munchies. Munchies, <laughs> absolutely. Well, I had a friend who lost his entire crop in Glen Ellen, which is about, you know, less than a mile south of Lassiter. Yeah. The whole crop. He was just about to do it. He split lo- uh, no money. Uh, no, anything. Yeah, crop insurance. I mean, that, in the Sonoma Valley, I mean, we're growing camp. An, un, this was an uninsurable crop. So oh, yeah, similar we, to we, the spark crop. Yeah, yeah. spark. Yeah. So, we, like for our grapes, we don't do crop insurance because we're not in a frost prone area. And do you insure yourself for a fifty year fire? I mean, you know. Well, so, and, and uh, the the economics of crop insurance for just doesn't fit Moon Mountain District Cabernet. You know, the crop insurance is about. People, you know, it's it's the volume, long play, hedge kind of game. And when, you know, the prices that you pay, the, what your farming costs are on a vineyard like the Gordon Anchor Vineyard, you, you can never come close to, you know, crop insurance will never pay that. You know, I think mm-hmm. we had, we do actually had, we had crop insurance on the, the steel plow vineyard. Uh, and, you know, we had probably two thirds of that still left to harvest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's like a, like a $16,000 check or something. It's just like, <laughs> not like, like a, eh, uh, that'll cover. Do uh, any of you guys have earthquake insurance? No. Earthquake insurance. I mean, <laughs> on the wine, <laughs> <laughs> in the barrels. No, I'm talking about at but home. Anyway, yeah. we managed to, so we didn't pick up, we've, we sell our grapes to two different people and we take a chunk as well. Um, the contracts fell through. One through fell th- fell through instantly. He was like, "No, nah, just don't want it." And because of the price and the contracts, pretty you the grower wears all the risk, um, and all the contracts. That's pretty much just how it goes. And then the other contract, they tried to get it done, but they just couldn't. I mean, we were just smoked out to hell, and so we ended up picking it on the sixth. I think the sixteenth of November. Mm-hmm. So we picked it really, really late. Whoa. Yeah, it was raining, so we got a, a field water ed. We like to call it. Um, a field water. <laughs> And uh, but it came winemaker washed turn the smoke off. Yeah, yeah. and um, what I said to Fred, I said, you know, I'm not going to pay to pick it because it's just it's not going to fit into my my um, category. Mine's a sixty five dollar cab or whatever. We just right. and the cost to of pro- processing that price. the process of um, the cost of processing. You know, we got custom crush fees, barrels, blah 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 blah. It's just a huge huge cost so i said to fred you pick it you can have it and so we made the wine it's in the winery it's actually oh. pretty good it's got a look i get the smoke tank maybe i'm just paranoid about that because that's who i am my wife she's got a pickier palate than me she doesn't get it so yeah it should make a really nice wine just for the discussion where do you get it so i get a little ashy on the nose yeah. and then i get a little bitter on the back yeah yeah see i what i'm tasting the wines that i'm tasting that have it it's all i, I don't notice it as much in the aroma and maybe that's because of the amount of new oak in it but it's there's no doubt it's there in that ash and the on the finish we're because we picked it so late and because well, just of so many different things it went through a couple of rains so it got a couple of washes um i think we were a little bit lighter off we're gonna we're looking at a couple of different ways of dealing it with that we're possibly we're probably going to give it a little bit of carbon some there's some activated carbon that's designed just to take um phenolics out 
Um, and then we did look at one that like there's supposed to be this compound that releases the aromatics. So what happens with, with smoke taint is apparently the, the compounds that give you all that flavor get locked up and right. five years down the road, the bottle can suddenly, ch- the pH balance or the sulfur changes and that aromas all just come flooding out and your bottle just becomes overwhelmingly smoky. So we played around with releasing the, I'm using air quotes here, releasing the smoky aromas. Um, and we didn't find that was much difference. I mean, everyone's kind of just, a lot of it's all guesswork. Australia is the best at this kind of stuff as far as dealing with smoky wines. But I think the answer for us was going to be just a little bit of carbon, just a kiss of it, just kind of flatten it, flatten it out a little bit and then mask it with oak. Yeah. You know, that's kind and, of and, the And when you got. say you played with it, what was that a material that you used to try to Yeah, there's, the... there's like a, there's some, you know, you get the, at Klein, we've got people trying to sell stuff all the time. We, right. We're really, really light on anything. We don't really add anything right. to it unless we absolutely have to. But that doesn't stop them from coming around every other week or whatnot. Well, sure. And when we said we had a smoky wine, they're like, oh, we've got the answer for that. Of course, they've always got yeah. the answer for it. Not that it actually ever works or right. anything like that. But it's like this white powder. We just did bench trials and just see what it does. And it, we didn't see major differences. So, yeah. Hmm. yeah. Well, what's your plan going forward? I mean, you're, so you're in New Zealand. You, come, you go to Germany. Yep. You're a recent guy. You come to California. I know you're working for Arrowwood uh, Bryant. Yeah, Bryant Family Vineyard in Napa. That was a, I do want to mention that harvest. That was 2011, which was, as we all know, the worst harvest ever. And I'm working for Bryant. Until 2017. Uh, 2017 yeah. wasn't too bad. It had a fire, but... Until October 8th. Yeah, what a, uh, also the Labor Day was a bit of a bitch as well. Um, yeah, 117. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but uh, we're making $400 cabs and stuff like that, you know, and I just couldn't believe... You know, the grapes were tiny, concentrated fruit, but the Petritus and Cabernet Sauvignon, I was just going, what the hell is going on here, you know? Wow. That was the only year it's ever happened. Like yeah, that. and I, I was like, you know, we're making four... I'm like, what the hell? Is, I, where am I? What, how do these guys think they can do this, you know? But we still made fantastic wines there. Um, the Kip, We made Kiplinger wines there as well, Rhone... Fantastic Rhone wines again. That was my first real taste of Rhone wines. And her grapes were laser precision. They were fantastic, clean, delicious, wonderful, wonderful wines, those stuff. But, um, you know, just because they're Cabernet Sauvignon, they were pushing it out till, you know, we were picking, we picked the last few lots in November of 2011. And they were, they were pretty beat up. But once we got the Petratus out, we literally had to pick the clusters up shake them and the potatoes would fall off and this they would like throw on the, on the wow. sorting table on the sorting table would throw the clusters up the sorting table and someone scooped the potatoes off so we got all the potatoes off and then wow. we had berry sorting after that so i mean we got nothing but clean grapes in there and it made fantastic wine but the effort to and get those hundred dollars a bottle yeah but yeah. the effort to get them clean wines was i, I was it was amazing yeah yeah right. it was a lot of work yeah. well and then moving over to klein and 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 working with Rhone varietals so it seems like you're kind of you kind of purposely push yourself to try different things i think you need to as a winemaker you need to understand as much as you can i spent time in new zealand and probably some of the best time i ever spent as an assistant vineyard manager for a great property in new zealand um learning how to grow grapes and how to grow them to a detail that's why i felt comfortable taking over the gordinka vineyard which i managed myself um that's why i feel comfortable when i go out to vineyards i'm not talking out my ass i know what i'm talking i spray my own vineyard for example i'm the guy who puts this choose the sprays and puts the sprays on so when I'm out there talking to the vineyard managers and saying like, hey, this is how I want it. This is where I think we should go. That's, you know, that's honest. That's not just kind of something I think. It's something I've experienced and done. So the vineyard's really important. And Germany emphasized that. He, I was with the winemaker um, at least one day a week in the vineyards working on the, on the vines. Hmm. You know, he was out there doing work on the vines. And so we talk about, you know, grapes are only as good as, the wine's only as good as the grapes you can. That's completely true. And that's fully what I believe. It's all about, You've got to make the grapes as good as you can, because in the winery we're only going to fuck it up. We're not going to make it better. Yeah, yeah. 
put that yeah. on a shirt too. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. I was going to say, what a perfect line, you know? You, you can only fuck it up. So yeah, yeah. and um, so uh, doing when I came here, coming to America was the biggest mind mess up of all. They always say it's who you know, not what you know, and that's never been true. When I came here, I thought I had a pretty good resume. Um, the only reason I got picked up by Bryant was because Helen Kiplinger knew about the place I worked in Germany. Um, otherwise, I had a zero resume out here. Nobody was even interested or anything. You know, a winery in New Zealand and Germany meant nothing. Whereas in New Zealand, I was building a nice resume, good good contacts and all the rest of it. And just starting from scratch was really hard. I spent six months unemployed in 2012, straight after I came out here, um, where I just pruned vineyards. I literally pruned vineyards. Um, I pruned one of the Hamill vineyards, that old one out the front that they brought by the littles. Just, oh, the, yep. uh, what they call it, armor plate now. Yeah, yeah. It used yeah. to be the Chave vineyard now. Yeah, yeah. So I pruned that myself in 2011-12 season. I pruned my own vineyard. Um, yeah, so I've been busy and whatnot. And then I worked at Arrowwood. That was great. That was a stepping stone, but I, that was just a seller work. I was just a seller worker on the KJ Beast. And so there was no upward mobility there. You know, there's just you're just gonna lost in the in the wash, so could, to speak. You could still have that exact same job. Yeah, you exact could same still thing. be a, a yeah. seller rat right now. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So and so then I went, got to work for Sojourn for three years. That was great. That was a great opportunity because they really kind of brought me in. They liked my vineyard knowledge, so I was spending a lot of time in the vineyards working with growers and stuff. They and make the, beautiful wines. They too. make fantastic wines. Yeah, the Pinot programs and stuff. And so that's kind of what really Klein was interested because they've got all these great Sonoma Coast. Uh, properties and they wanted a little bit more kind of um, dialed in attention to detail. So can we talk about Pinot from Clyde? Yeah, of course. I've got uh, we've got a jacuzzi Pinot here if you want to try. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Pinot, we've, we do, we've got a one big Pinot program right now um, and it's our Sonoma Coast. Um, we're changing it to Sonoma County because we have to grow it a little bit. Um, but And it's fantastic wine at a great price and it's delicious, delicious wine. But we felt with our properties, we can do better. Well, we that, that was kind of to take it full circle is is why I always when I think of Klein and because yeah I think I think of Rhone varietals and Italian varietals but being where you're situated is sort of Pinot property it's ground zero for yeah. for a great Pinot in Northern Comple- California well, well it's kind of been good we've chatted about you know it started out in Contra Costa and whatnot and that's where Fred really got to start and then he brought into Sonoma Coast in the nineties and then it's slowly been building we used uh, Klein used to sell all their grapes their Pinot and Chardonnay grapes up until the early. Uh, okay. 2000, I think 2010 or 11 is they sold. They sold it all to like the Creamer and places like that. And so their, their Sonoma Coast Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, Pinot Gris programs are fairly new. And so it's all kind of been pretty exciting. So this here that I'm opening is our 2016 Reserve Sonoma Coast Pinot Noir for Jacuzzi. So we didn't really have a place for it in client at the moment. Um, and cl- the Jacuzzi wanted a Pinot Noir. And so at 16, I was playing around with some lots and things like that. And this was kind of our best blend. This is from... This is a little bit from our Diamond Pile Vineyard and a little bit from Catapult Vineyard. So it's a blend of our two Petaluma Gap properties. It is a Petaluma Gap wine, although we haven't got it on the label because that only just came through. Beautiful Pinot, pretty structured. The labels uh, got printed before the AVA was approved. Exactly, yeah. This was bottled at the end of last year, yeah. That's so, hysterical, Sam. So, it's the, I mean, that's the reality of it. Yeah. yeah. So this, um, yeah, the Catapult Ranch is kind of one of those old... Um, uh, heritage clones like Clone 23, Clone 5, and things like that, some of those bigger clones. And then Diamond Pile is more your Dijon clones, more the new clones. So you get the structure from the from the Catapult Ranch. It's got big, uh, very vigorous vines. Um, that gives you your body and things. And then Diamond Pile is a little bit, uh, the growth isn't as strong. Um, it's heavy clay, some slopes and things. Um, it's just, those vines just struggle a little bit more out there. And that's our Dijon clone. So that gives you your light, elegant elegance to the wine. So yeah. Um, this gets 50 cent French oak aged in barrel for about 15 months. Yeah. 
And this is going to be more of a focus going forward, you think, for the family? So this, uh, this is so jacuzzi. We're doing the reserve program for the jacuzzi. We've got a new project just started in 2017, the Skunk Works project. We're calling it. It's um, Charlie Sigalitis came with that idea. He's the director of winemaking. He uh, he's a big motorbike guy, and he was talking about one of her, Ducati. I think they had their high end project, like their race car project. They used to call it the Skunk Works. Where that's, basically everybody calls it the Skunk Works. Actually, that's what I've been told. Yeah, but that was always like a, a race car thing. In, in racing, it is. Huh. And, it's where you work on your super secret stuff. You yeah, know. and um, basically, he's just, you know, no costs spared. I wonder you why. I would love to know the history of I that. Yeah. Might have to that's Google that. So Skunk that's works. kind of the nickname we've been given to our project. We were basically, it's no cost spared. So what we did it is... It's a W-E-R-K-S. We, um, we did, what we did is we went through me and my two interns. Megan Clay is one of the people who's one of the way making help, makers helping me out with this stuff. Uh, we went through and we've got, I don't know, we've got 140, 150 blocks of, um, of vines throughout our vineyard. So we went through... Wow and graded every single block. And so I got um, Megan and Claire to go through, grade every single block um, based on a number of criteria. From that, we went and gave it an overall grade, and then we went and evaluated all the best blocks. And within that, we targeted certain specific spots within those. We then reworked those rows, and then we now fermented them separately and reworked them in the winery separately completely as well. Wow. So that's kind of a high-end project, kind of trying to get into the single vineyard pro game and all that sort of stuff. So that's the direction we're heading with that. Um, we were, Isn't it amazing how much it can change row to row, block to block? Oh, it's crazy. Yeah, it's. I mean, if we always talk about microclimates, and the microclimate literally is that climate. One that row. Two, that no, it's the two meter space around a vine. Yeah. You know, there you that's go. the microclimate, and they change depending on the hillside and like things that, like that. The yeah. microclimate is the two meter space around the vine. Yeah, pretty much. That's what it is. <laughs> I mean. That's We're taking it down. In order for me to understand, I'll have to call it the two-yard space around the vine because I don't know <laughs> the metric system, whatever. But I mean, yeah, every every vine, every row, every little section of the vineyard is going to be different. And and the goal, you know, the the goal of the wine grower is to try and create, you know, some sort of uniformity out of that and a, approach every vine differently so that you know this one and the one on the other end of the the row ripens at the same time and you never get there but that's the goal right yeah or at least that the uh, within a certain block you know a, a defined area within a block is uniform right yeah it's just i mean uniformity it's so interesting because there's two, two different ways to think about it um you've got if you've got everything exactly the same ripening exactly the same you're going to get a pure expression of the site you know if everything's exactly the same however if you're not looking for an pure expression of the site you want things a little bit some a little less ripe some a little more ripe because then you get a little more plethora of flavor rather than getting like that clear sharp flavor when you're doing that precision stuff whereas bigger stuff you want a little bit more kind of you know you want that um i guess you want the strawberry and you want the cherry and the raspberry so you get that rather than just like that straight complexity. cherry flavor yeah, yeah. The complexity yeah. so it depends on what you're really going for you know um, so for this, for the skunk works and for this Pinot, we're looking for that one laser kind of specific flavor. So skunk works, I just looked it up. It comes from Lockheed Martin when they were first trying to develop fighter jets. Yeah. The first fighter jet was the the skunk works program where they were like in the secret part of the where of the hangar. There you go, building fighter jets. So you know you can build the fighter jet of Pinot Noir. I think you're doing something pretty good. Yeah, that's kind of the goal. It's you know just trying to get as creative and trying to be do the best that we can. Yeah. Wow. But it was it's a nice. It's a it's a nice wine. This yeah this is um, the seventeen was a little tough because we picked it and then the fires happened, and so things didn't get neglected but they weren't looked after as well as they could have been. 
you know, you got other stuff going on. Right. <laughs> well, anyone, it was a busy week. For, <laughs> it was for one those, of those people weeks. out there that, that, that aren't in the wine growing business, when you think about microclimates being two meters or, or two yards around a vine, think of the end of the row. Um, or even if you think about penguins. So if you kind of a weird analogy, but think about penguins when you when you see penguins and they're all huddled around, you know, to stay warm. Well, the penguins that are on the outside are cold. The penguins that are in the very center of that grouping are warm. Well, same thing with the vines in a vineyard. Ones that are on the outside are probably more susceptible to wind and cold. And the ones that are in the inside are, are probably a little bit warmer and aren't getting the wind. So, I mean, literally every two yards you go, you're getting different conditions in the... Don't be the outside penguin. Don't don't be that outside penguin. (laughs) If you have a stone wall, the sun reflects off of it. It heats up better. It's sand. You've got undulations in the soil as well, you know, different topographies. Yeah, you know, the Benzigers did a thing. It was about the time that I left that they started this. It was they called it the the heart and the edges, and they would pick the edges of the block as one piece and then the heart in the middle as another and and then um, you had vineyard management crews coming at you with picking knives and, going what the fuck and and i was gonna <laughs> say and and that <laughs> was that. um that was a, a tenuous time for the uh vineyard re- relations <laughs> <Yeah>. manager <laughs> that's also kind of a great thing about klein as well because we have our own crews we have a full-time crew we don't have outsiders so pr- like we were talking about Everybody's and, and going to that. I mean, ultimately, yeah, you're everyone kind of has to. to. Everyone you have has to, because I mean, you to if you give a guy a week off, he's going to be poached by someone else in that yeah. time. Yeah. You know, literally, it's that quick. Yeah. And so, what we've got is we've got guys pruning the same vineyards, pruning the same rows, and just doing a better job every year and understanding. Right. You know, we're talking about like benzing, as I know they do pruning weights, and um, we did sustainability. You know, the Sonoma County sustainability that people came out and whatnot. And they're like, "Do you do pruning weights?" We're like, "No, that's like that's so much work for." And it's, you know, it's, you've got the number after, anyway, it's a complicated mess of a project. We just prune to vigor because we've got the guys to do it. So with the olive press and with our green string farms and all the rest of it, when the downtimes, we've got other things to work on, you know, so we've got the same guys. And that's one of the big important things about having your own crew. You bring contract people in and they're just in there to wham, bam, do their job. Whereas you give people ownership of their tasks and of their projects and they're always going to do a better job. That's right. They talk about sustainability to me that, that sustainability that you know you're you have the same people working the same vines year in year out and it's just going to do better they want to see you want to see you know you tell you guys we want this vineyard to look better than it did last year and that's the goal you know it's just like we talked about everything the soil has got to be healthier than it was last year and that's that's their job they're in charge of it and so that's something that they can work on and they can see the results it's really gratifying um, to see that when you bring, you know, the vine on row three, five down, that's been a little unhealthy. Oh, to get that third cane down on it on a four cane system, you know, when you slowly build that up and you can see the heads coming in and more buds and more fruit and they're just healthier. You get more balanced crops Tastes over better. year after year. You know, you stop getting that huge crop, low crop, huge crop, low crop. You start flattening that out and getting more even and then you've got more even flavors and just more consistency. Yeah. Well, kids, we are out of time. Sorry about that episode. No, we could go on with this one. This is a good combo. It, it could. <laughs> yeah, it could. But And the Pinot Noir is good in that. I don't say that very often. My uh, SD card you, is Did you really just say that? Flashing don't, full. Don't tell so, me where it came in. Yeah. If we, if we want this to be on the air, we need to we shut, shut it up. Shut up, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> coming off. <laughs> Tom, Kendall, thank you so much for coming. Um, Klein is so much more than I thought it was. Um, 
first of all, I have to say I'm extremely sorry about your home and uh, what happened during water the under fire, the bridge, for that's, Christ's you know. sake. I mean, God damn, that's a terrible thing to happen. Life goes and, on. And we're all happy and healthy Congratulations and on the baby and he slept through the night last night. First time in ages. All right. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Mine didn't sleep for 10 weeks. So, yeah. so real quick, Klein Cellars. Um, uh, How do you get the, in touch? The, the second winery as you come into Sonoma Valley on 116. Third. You got to go. Left. You got to go. Right, third. Vianza. So. And then. Klein and Jacuzzi are opposite Klein each other. So they're like a tie. Yeah. yeah. Tell people three, not three, three, to walk from Klein to Jacuzzi, uh, though. It's, yeah. Dangerous. It's, it's very <laughs> dangerous. Um, but uh, beautiful spot in Sonoma Valley. Beautiful ground. Um, be sure well to stop up by. To. We also you. have history there as well. That was where they just to do a little plug at the end. We had the mission, the original mission from Sonoma was actually built on that site. And we have a have an honor of that. We have a cross on the site where it was built. And then we have a mission museum for the kids to learn about the history of California. It's all 21 of the mission models are there to kind of celebrate that. Um, we also have gra- beautiful grounds, um, some birds and things like that. Picnic sites, you can bring your own food and book a picnic table and have a picnic out there. Well, it's- that's nicer than people who want you to rent a cabana and buy their food. Um, but uh, it's easy to get to your website. Nobody, nobody wants me to rent a cabana. <laughs> Kleinsellers.com. And uh, and 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 please go back and tell whoever did this website. I will make sure it's to do that. exceptionally and find, well done. Find the Gord Anchor wines too. Can can I can yeah, I buy yeah. Gord Anchor wines? Yeah, Gord Anchor. Uh, Gord Anchor dot com. G, G. You're gonna have to spell that. Oh, somebody else is gonna oh, spell it because of my accent. <laughs> Gord Anchor. G O R D. E N K E R Gord Anchor. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah, and uh, great Cabernet. There's a little bit of it. It's Moon Mountain District. Grab it while you can. The 14. Uh, I think we have the last bottle of it in front of us. So wait for the 15. Yeah, most of it burnt. No, we're actually pretty good. We're pretty. We've got it uh, stored. Keep it in the warehouse. Okay, exactly. Yeah. This is just well, the, home, the home supply. <laughs> yeah, the home supply. And we didn't make it through all of the wine you brought. Oh, that's but, okay. But, I'm I'm know. one of those guys who comes up to the party with more wine than I need just to make sure I've got something for any situation. That's, that's why, why we invited, invited you. back to the party. <laughs> <laughs> and and we judge the success of the show by. How many bottles are open at the end? We did pretty good. The second show is always the best. And you did you get second show through today? That? Yeah. Well, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Had a couple we'll open on the counter. Yeah. I think we've left. had a dozen before. They're not empty though. We can work on, we can work yeah, on that. John, John will take care of that tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that's the reason why he's got a podcast. Is it? Anything <laughs> that is podcast from his house, <laughs> I will. Well, you know what? We have podcast from the Rhone Room. That's true. Your tasting uh, room. Steve Law's tasting lounge. Oh, that's right. Um, sweet tea. Sweet tea. Wait, wait, not sweet. We tea. tried to. Oh, yeah. we, tried well, sweet we, tea. we did, but it the the crowd was it a didn't little work. loud. And uh, but nonetheless, we can you know I mean if you'd like us to come out and sit at we've the picnic tables, and and we've got some and beautiful views. I mean, there's a couple. The there's a couple of spots I could think of. Yeah, nice. we'd love to, and we'd love to have you back on then. Yeah, so no, thanks so much. It's been a great time. Yeah. All right, yeah. everybody. Thanks for listening. Our contact. Uh, Contact info. If you want to get more of that Zen, get it while it's hot or uh, not from sixteen six hundred. Um, Just get at, it from Sam at Grapes with a View. At Grapes with a View. And go on and uh, review us on your podcast. Subscribe. Right. Do the things. Please tell your friends. Review us. If you don't like it, stop listening. Don't tell anyone. Right. And uh, <laughs> Bart Hansen at DaneSellers.com. 
um, still a little Chenin Blanc available, yes. which anyone that follows me on Instagram at uh, hashtag Sonoma Wine Lover knows that I did post uh, about a week ago drinking Chenin Blanc in the glass tonight. I haven't posted since then because I've been drinking a bottle every night and I feel it's a little <laughs> redundant to keep <laughs> saying that I have Dane Cellar Chenin Blanc in my glass tonight. People think that I'm reposting the same thing, but I'm not. I'm You're just drinking just it every it night. All. I dr- <laughs> God. <laughs> and uh, so right. Bart, Dane That's Sellers is on the web at danesellers.com. Dane Shout out to Dane. He just turned 11. Hey, uh, happy birthday, happy birthday thir- buddy. 27. Yeah. So, all right. And it's kleinsellers.com. Yep. That's, and that's easy. all and they jacuzzi, need. Jacuzzi and Family Wines, I think it is yeah. as well. Yeah. Jacuzzi. Okay. Spelled like the Perfect. Thanks, guys. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week.